I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Of course, we've heard uh, Democrats over the past year speak loudly that it was time to get rid of the filibuster in the United States Senate so that they could get something done. Is that the right headline, or should they be careful what they wish for? Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. Well, with the midterm elections getting closer and closer, uh, Republicans seem to be poised to possibly regain control of both the House and the Senate. While in power, Democrats have talked about getting rid of the filibuster on a pretty regular basis, uh, saying that that had prevented them from passing a lot of important pieces of legislation during the past year. But should they be maybe a little grateful that maybe they haven't nuked the filibuster just yet? Helping us break all of that down, the sage of the Senate, James Walner from our friends at R Street Institute, joins us. James, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. It is great to have you back on the program. And uh, as the sage of the T-shirt and a hat for you. uh, But as you as you look at that, as you've listened to Democrats over the, the course of the year, uh, should they be careful what they wish for? And uh, what are things looking like as we move towards the midterm? Well, the first thing that most people can more readily grasp is that if Democrats don't do well in the midterms, then they will be in the minority in the Senate. And then the filibuster will be something that they can use to stop the majority, in this case, Republicans, from doing things. And that, I think, is certainly true. But to me, the most interesting part about the filibuster debate and and why Democrats shouldn't get rid of it is that they have a lot of bills, these individual Democrats, that they don't want to vote on. They have a lot of things that they would rather avoid, whether they're in the majority or the minority. And getting rid of the filibuster dilutes their individual power and makes it more likely that they could be voting on those, whether or not their party is in control. Oh, that, that that is interesting because it's not always just the uh, the what you're for votes, but sometimes it's it's that pain of having to cast the no vote uh, that can also be challenging, uh, especially during election years for sure. I'm going to play a little clip from uh, Senator Angus King. Of course, he's an independent from Maine, uh, and he's often warned. Uh, he caucuses with the Democrats, and he's often cautioned. He says, you know, today's obstruction is tomorrow's shield. Uh, but I want you to take a listen to this and then break it down for us, James. I'm not really ready to say let's get rid of it altogether because I think there are circumstances where it makes sense. 
so I, I prefer some uh, alternative uh, to what the present rule is. I'd like to restore the Senate to what it was, where we actually had debates and people had to hold the floor. And uh, so I think some kind of talking filibuster, perhaps a rule that instead of having to have 60 votes to pass something, you'd have to have 41 votes to stop it. So that way, the minority would at least have to show up. One of the problems now is uh, they don't even have to show up. They don't have to speak. They don't have to do anything. It just sort of becomes an automatic supermajority requirement, which isn't in the Constitution. So tell me what what works in terms of what uh, Senator King is talking about and uh, how would that actually play out in the Senate? Well, I'm going to start with the last thing he said about not having to show up. The simple fact is on these cloture votes that we've seen where 60 senators have to vote to end debate, to invoke cloture, everybody's there. It's not like you have 41 senators who aren't showing up. They're there. They're voting no. So I'm not sure how that would ultimately alter things. Um, It would certainly make it easier on the majority and harder on the minority. But the fact is they're all showing up for these votes in the first place. So that's not that, you know, it's not going to be that important, I think. What's really interesting to me is that he, uh, the senator, talks about going back to the way filibusters were and having a talking filibuster. Well, I, I hate to break it to the senator, but the Senate already has that rule. It's called Rule 19. It's a two-speech rule where senators can only speak twice on any one given question um, in the same legislative day, and a legislative day can last up to a year. And this is how the Senate legislated prior to the cloture rule, which didn't exist before 1917. The only reason senators don't use it today is because the majority party doesn't want to, because it's too unpredictable and it makes them expend too much effort. Uh, and that always seems to be the problem is is the effort. Uh, we had that moment uh, this past week when they were voting on the confirmation of Judge Katanji Brown Jackson, where you actually almost had the entire Senate, uh, Rand Paul in uh, – I think someone else excluded, <laughs> but you had everybody on the floor of the Senate sitting at their desks—a a real rarity these days. Most of the speeches are delivered to the echo of the empty chamber and the the poor Senate pages sitting on the on the steps there. Um, as I as I watched that, uh, regardless of the outcome of the vote or where people fall, I thought, you know what? They should just lock the doors uh, and just force the senators to be in their seats at their desks and actually have a that real debate that you were talking about. Well, there's actually a rule that requires senators to vote from their desk. The late uh, senator, former majority leader Robert Byrd, used to thunder and hit his desk with his cane towards the end of his career and the end of his life. And he demanded that senators uh, go to their desk to vote. So that is a rule. But the, the talk about getting rid of the filibuster is not about obstruction. It's not about actual filibusters. It's about empowering the majority to efficiently control the Senate and make it easier for the majority to do so. Look, the majority already has all of the rules at its disposal to do this. The filibuster is not a veto. But to use those rules, that means the majority has to allow the minority to debate. That means the majority has to allow the minority to offer amendments. And yes, it may be a little inconvenient when they have to cast votes on those things, but a minority of senators cannot stop a majority from passing something. It's, they don't have a veto. That's not how the filibuster works. And again, prior to 1917, when there was no cloture rule to end debate over senators' objections, 
the Senate still passed a lot of big, important legislation. Mm. Filibusters were rarely successful when there was no way to end one. And at the end of the day, the only way that they were able to actually filibuster a bill was in the very final days of a session. But they couldn't do it at other times. And most bills that passed were passed on narrow majority coalition votes, not big supermajority votes. So we know this works. We've seen this, and the Senate doesn't have to use cloture. They can go back to that old way of legislating like Angus King seems to want to. They can go back to that today. Well, actually, not today because they're not in session, but whenever they come back to work, they can go back to it. But it's <laughs> going to take a lot of effort on their part. Yeah, and, and I, I love this fact. Uh, I want to come back to one thing that you mentioned there, James, uh, and that is that so we often complain about whoever the minority party is for being the obstructionist and blocking things. Uh, but I love the way you said that that it we really have to expect more out of the majority party uh, to actually create the space for that better debate to happen. You're absolutely right. The way that debates happen is when a majority party, and I stopped using Democrats and Republicans because I think the problems are pretty much endemic on both sides, Yeah. depending on who's in the majority. But the majority party trying to legislate is what creates a process and an opportunity for compromise and for bills to pass. Look, right now, Chuck Schumer comes to the floor. He wants to vote on a bill. He asks unanimous consent. Will somebody object? That's not obstruction. You just ask for their permission. Of course they're going to object if they don't like it. Then he files cloture to get uh, to in debate. But he's not actually forcing anybody to debate. He's not using Rule 19. He's not mm-hmm. using these other rules. They are choosing to go down this path precisely because they want to avoid the other path. But the other path is how the Senate has always worked. And senators who talk about wanting to go back to the good old days when the Senate could debate and do things, well, they have the power to do that right now. And actually, the majority has the power to do that. They don't need a rules change. They just have to wake up in the morning, put their feet on the floor, look in the mirror and say, I'm going to be a senator today and I'm going to try to win in the United States Senate. And if they do that, the rules are there and they will be just fine. Oh, fantastic. Great insight as always. James Walner, senior fellow at R Street Institute. Uh, James, thanks for your perspective today. Thanks for having me. Great stuff from uh, James Walner there. Uh, it is, if we want to restore it to be, once again, the great deliberative body, the majority party can do that. Just as James said, uh, they just have to engage in it. They need to quit playing the politics with it blaming the minority party and again it goes back and forth whether it's democrats or republicans doesn't matter the majority party has to lead and create space for the debate to happen and they can do that today if they're willing to do it today we've got to expect more out of the united states senate with lloyd matheson on ksl news radio two years ago americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the kabul airport she was tear gassed and beaten images of thousands desperate to escape taliban oppression filled our news feeds more than 80,000 afghans made it to america but the story didn't end there it was very cold there was no power no heat who would help our newest neighbors I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor, 
Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.